For those of us remaining together in the room, if you have your Bible, please open to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. Mark is about 75% of the way through your Bible. It's the second book of the New Testament, one of the four Gospels, Mark chapter 5, and we're going to pick up in verse 21. Let us receive the word of the Lord. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering." While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. And he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks. Thanks be to God. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Father, we come before you um, 
astounded by the beauty of your word, the heart and the compassion of your son, our Savior, Jesus. Lord, in this space, in this time, we seek to know you more and more, to submit ourselves to to you, to who you are, and to invite your Holy Spirit to equip us as your disciples. So we pray, O God, that you would open our eyes, that we would see, open our ears, that we would hear. Open our minds, we come to know and understand your word, our hearts, that we would feel its power. And then in response, we pray, gracious Father, that you would open our hands, that we would offer grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I I believe we live in an urgency culture where everything is presented as urgent and we are striving for that next urgent thing over and over and over again. It's the rhythm of life, it seems. It's promoted by our media and by our social media. I mean, uh, we know that if it, if it bleeds, it leads uh, in our media. And, and that's uh, not just in physical, but I think it's also in, in, in a broader emotional sense. If this can create a sense of emergency, if it can create a sense of urgency, then it's going to rise to the headline. It's going to be featured and promoted and pushed as that number one thing. The, 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 most, uh, the most frustration in the media comes when there is a dead cycle, when there is nothing that they can come up with that is urgent. And at times they'll even create an urgency. And I think that that ties intricately, it weaves into uh, the busyness culture that we celebrate. I mean, that, that, that we engage in on a day to day basis. Someone shakes your hand, how are you doing? Oh, I'm super busy. How are you doing? I'm busy too. Bet you're not as busy as me. I got more busy than you got. Like we start just like trying to one up with one another with how important our, our lives are full of all of the things that have to get done. And then if you get to that tender moment, that space of honesty with someone, they say, this sucks. My schedule, my life, the rhythms, it makes no sense. It's ridiculous. What am I doing to myself? What are we doing as a family, as a Bah. You know, you, you'll see someone literally pull their hair out if they get to that space of vulnerability because of the urgency culture that is undergirded by a busyness mindset that we celebrate and engage in together, and we're all culpable. But here's the, the sad truth. Urgency and busyness is a barrier to the blessing. Of the present. Urgency and busyness, they are barriers to the blessing of the present. And I know that 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 many of us, like uh, we we come at this honestly. We're trying to figure it out, and 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 we are we are kind of uh, oriented one way or another uh, in our own kind of mode of operation. Uh, and so there's no judgment here. This is just, I think, kind of a starting point baseline. Some of us are single-minded and some of us are multitaskers. And in both situations, we could come at great threats with regard to presence. 
first for those of you that can relate to single-mindedness. That would be me. I'm the one, if I'm watching TV, Lauren has told the children, if you want dad's attention, stand in between him and the screen and wave your hands in order to get his attention, right? Uh, it, dad, uh, I need you. I don't hear you. Dad, I need you. I don't hear you. Like how many times can a child say something to me and my focus is on this thing? And it's not just technology. It's, hey, I am working on a project. I'm trying to make sure that this thing gets accomplished because it is so urgent and because it makes me so busy. And so I'm going to make sure I'm attentive over here. And then finally, Lauren coaches them up. Hey, put your hand on his arm. So that he feels you in order for him to awaken to the fact that he is not alone in this single-minded uh, endeavor. And, and I'm not saying that, that you can't shift from one focus to another. I'm saying that, that you or me, this is me here, that, that I am likely to miss so much because of my preoccupation with that single urgent thing. I find myself at times acknowledging that I'm failing to be present here, now, because of that urgent single thing. And then there's the multitaskers. God bless you all. Uh, Now, I like to have lots of things going on, but I'm going to hit one at a time, right? Now, the multitasker will read a book, watch TV, have a conversation, and uh, scroll social media all at the same time. I don't understand how you do it. It baffles me. You're able to do nine things all at the same time. Like, and yet, and yet, there is a great threat to that as well because... What is being missed in any of the single activities? Has a multitasker ever asked a single-minded person, hey, what was just said in that program? Or did you get what just took place? Because there is a need to, to do everything, there is a lack of attention to the single my wife, Lauren, is a gifted multitasker, and there are times when, whenever I know she's able to do it, she's able to engage with me while she's engaging with other things, but sometimes I don't feel that, and sometimes I have to say, uh, pause. Everything that you're accomplishing, I just need a little bit focused for me. You see... Whether we're single-minded or multitaskers, the threat is the same. The threat is that the urgency of the accomplishment or the busyness of the moment is a barrier to the blessing available for us here and now in the present I mean, we find Jesus uh, in, uh, in, in the thick of things. This is Mark chapter 5. And if, if you recall the kind of nature of the Gospels, Mark is the busy Gospel. Mark is the immediate Gospel. It's the urgent Gospel. Jesus goes from this thing to the next thing to the next thing over and over again. Immediately he went here. And then he hurried there. And immediately they did this. This is the nature of 
Mark's gospel. So we get to Mark chapter 5. Jesus is already in the middle of it. He's healing. He's teaching. He's relating. And all of this seems like so much to bear. And yet the urgent matters rise to the top. And so we have Jairus. Jairus' daughter is dying. And now we know she's, she's a child. She's 12. And so we have this, this, this tragic situation that obviously rises on the priority list. Right There are lots of other things that you can be doing. But saving a 12-year-old's life seems to come up to the top. And so Jesus drops everything. And urgently moves to go attend to this situation, Jairus' daughter. And that would seem like enough. Like that would seem like reasonable, logical triage. The tent was set up, all the needs were assessed, and this is number one. But that's not how Jesus operates. On On the way to address this urgent need... Jesus is encountered, or actually covertly encountered, uh, by a woman who needs healing. Now, this is also a tragic situation. This is a woman uh, who has had uh, uh, years of bleeding, and it is horrible to, to attempt to wrap our minds around how, how awful this would have been for her, and yet... Again, if you were to lay out priorities, 12-year-old dying, woman who has experienced bleeding, you would say Jesus is, is going and doing the right thing. And I think that that woman might believe that as well because she doesn't interrupt Jesus' day. She doesn't disrupt his focus. She doesn't uh, call attention to herself. She doesn't speak out loud, but she merely reaches out and touches his cloak. Just just touches him. And instantly, power, movement from the Holy Spirit is released from him, and he heals her through her faith and her touch. And as he feels that power go out from him, what would you do? I would think you would keep going to Jairus' daughter. Like you, you, would, you, would, you would get the move on. You're doing the thing that you need to be doing. Stay focused on task, Jesus. This is the thing you're supposed to be doing. But he's able, even on the way to this urgent matter, even addressing this thing that seems to rise to the highest priority, he's able to be present. He is present with this woman. And I want you to notice verse 33. I find it um, baffling, in fact, because verse 33, it's only one verse, but, but it, it would have been drawn out in a grand expression of lengthy engagement that really highlights what it meant to be present while there was this other urgent matter going on. Verse 33 says, Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear. So this is after Jesus stopped, after Jesus called out, Who was this that touched me? Who was this that was healed? He then says, 
uh, he then has this woman respond. She falls at, her, at his feet. He's, she's trembling with fear. And then she told him the whole truth. I love that word, whole. Entirety, full, the whole truth. The whole truth of the trauma that she had experienced. The whole truth of the pain that she was in. The whole truth of the isolation that she experienced. The whole truth of the, of, of the distance and disengagement that she had with the religious community. The whole truth of her shame, of her guilt. The whole truth of her desire for healing. The whole truth of, of her belief and faith in Jesus' power. The whole truth of her boldness to come up and approach him. The whole truth of her touching him and being healed. I mean, this whole whole truth would have taken a minute. What whole truth would there be for you to articulate in your healing and relationship with Jesus if you were to have that moment where you bow before the Lord, where your fear and trembling comes upon you and you are weeping before Jesus and you're telling Jesus all he had done for you? How long would that take? It took a minute. All that while... Jairus' daughter is dying. The urgent matter that Jesus was going to attend to. How many moments like that do I miss? How many moments like that where someone is, is in need, where that present relationship encounter is possible, but I absolutely miss it because I am so focused on doing that very next thing that I have placed in my own priority list. That I've written down my things to accomplish in the day, in the week. And I've done my little strike through uh, silliness. And, and I've uh, worked my way through the list. And I'm doing the next thing. But I miss the opportunity here now in relationship. Jesus doesn't allow urgency or busyness to be a barrier to blessing. No, he says, who touched me? Who received power? Who required healing? I want to be present with you. I want to engage with you. He is attentive to the moment. And I'll be honest, I, one of the reasons why I think those urgent matters rise to the top for me is because I, I think if I don't do it, then it won't get done. Any of you fall into that category where, where I'm the only one that could do that? And so uh, I got to do that and I can't do anything else because uh, everything depends on, relies on me there. And we see Jesus address this beautifully. So Jairus' uh, friends come to him. Uh, I imagine them racing to him in, in desperation uh, and, and, and in uh, that, that space of trauma. And they come and they share with Jairus that his daughter has died. And, and I imagine the temptation that was there. Like in that moment for Jairus. 
that temptation to say, Jesus, why why'd you stop? Why weren't, why weren't you doing that thing that, that should have been number one? Why weren't you coming to save my daughter? Why would you stop? Why would you listen to her story? She was healed. You could have just kept walking. That's not Jairus' posture by God's miraculous grace. He tells his friends, let's not bother the master, the teacher, Jesus anymore. But Jesus quickly interjects and says, no, continue to have faith, continue to believe, because just as I was present in that moment for that woman, I am also present for you and your daughter. And he goes and she is healed and she walks around and people are confounded by the beauty of this twofold healing. What spaces in your life do you devote intentionally to attentiveness to others? What spaces can you go to, can you enter into where you can trust and have confidence that people around you are going to be attentive to you? That is what uh, small groups in Christian fellowship are and should be. That's what small groups at Covenant are and should be. It's a space where there's a commitment to be attentive to one another, where we're devoting time to practice that which should be the mode of operation all the time. And, and, and so that's my invitation to you. I invite you to be a part of a Covenant small group because we need this kind of practice. We need to step forward into relationships that show us what being attentive looks like. And so I know you're busy. I know you got tons of urgent matters to attend to. I know you got a full schedule and a full plate. In fact, it's overflowing. And yet, I believe Jesus models with his disciples in this story that very thing which you are being invited to in your story today. Don't miss this opportunity to practice a spiritual discipline of attentiveness and have that blessing poured over you as well. I hope that you'll sign up, that you'll seek out a group of fellow believers in which you could pursue this discipline with. Don't let your urgency or your busyness become a barrier to this blessing. God is ready to heal, and he's going to do it through community that we share in together. Let's pray together. Holy God, 
wow. Jesus, your capacity to, to do both and, not either or, is a witness to us. It's astounding and it invites us to be more than we are today. It invites us to step forward in faith, to walk with you. Lord, Lord, help us. Help us to see our family, our friends, our neighbors, our community as opportunity and space in which we can be, be present and attentive to the needs of others. And Lord, we trust in you. We trust that that you will provide others for us as well. So Lord, heal us, mend us, cover us with your presence. And Lord, as we continue in worship and we enter into this time of offering, Lord, we ask that you would bless these gifts and you would bless the givers as well, that all these gifts would be for the kingdom-building work of your church, Lord, that more would come to know the gift of your son's presence in their lives through the work of these offerings. And Lord, we also ask that you would bless these givers as well, Lord, each of us, as we offer a portion of what you have given to us, Lord, we ask that you would, that you would make us a grateful people that always honor you as the giver of good gifts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.